welcome to Becoming Intuitive, the podcast that helps you tap into your intuitive nature. I'm your host, Gabrielle, a spirit channel, energetic healer, and intuitive coach. And this is where we demystify what it means to be intuitive. We discuss topics from light beings to psychic mediums and anywhere in between. So what are you waiting for? Let's get intuitive. Hey tribe and welcome to this week's episode. It's an absolute honor to have you here and I'm so excited because I get to introduce you to Ashley from the Muller Collective who is on a mission to modernize meditation through easy and thoughtful practice. So let's get straight into it. Ashley and thank you so much for being here today. Hi my love, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super happy to be here. Same. It's so great that we can connect. It is like the internet and coronavirus has created this beautiful ecosystem for us to all share and connect in ways we never have before. And for that, I'm truly grateful. So what I thought we could do is jump straight into my first question, which the tribe always knows is what does intuitive mean to you? Oh, I love this question Um, because I have been on a deep dive of intuition lately and trying to differentiate intuition from fear. Um, And I have an intuitive coach that I work with now. I've been working with her for a few months and she broke it down so beautifully to me that intuition is that loving, kind voice that says, oh, darling, don't forget to do this. Oh, my love, do this. Or why don't you try this? Oh, sweetheart, try this. Whereas fear talks so negatively and it talks down. And I really love that idea of this higher self, this higher being, this knowing, this consciousness, talking to with love and kindness and gentleness. So I, that for me is how I've, I have approached intuition lately. I love that, how it's that kind, gentle voice. Um, Intuitive is really such a different thing for all of us. And I love how so many people describe it. And I always love asking the people on the podcast first so the audience can truly get an idea of who you are. And that's the reason that the question is formulated Mm -hmm. this way before we dive right into your story. So do you mind sharing with the tribe your story, how you got here? You're in such a beautiful place to share and preach now, but can you just share that with my tribe? Of course. So I'll kind of go back a few years. So I I run a company called Mala Collective, uh, which I've been doing for nine years. But before I started this, I used to be a journalist. I used to cover murder trials. So I was in a completely different mindset, different world. Um, And the business started uh, because my partner and I kind of reached this point in our early 20s of maybe a quarter life crisis, some people could call it. And we ended up, you know, achieving all these goals we had set for ourselves and leaving everything and, you know, really wanting to discover who we were and our purpose and, you know, why we're on this earth. Ended up in Bali, fell in love with these mala beads and kept going back and buying them. The more that we learned there's different gemstones and different healing qualities and different intentions and learning that they're a tool for meditation we were flying from Bali to Thailand. This beautiful woman came up to us on this flight, this gorgeous hippie lady, and said, oh, your aura is so beautiful. Can I sit and talk to you? 
well, of course. How often does someone tell you your aura is beautiful? Um, started talking to us and she ended up being the woman who made the jewelry that we had bought in Bali. So this totally serendipitous collision of lives happened. And she shared with us that her guru told her to get these beads to the West because the beads embody peace. And the more the world wears them, the more the world will be at peace, but the West needs peace the most. And we thought, oh yeah, cool. We're from the West. We think peace will help you. So it was a very laissez-faire accidental start to entrepreneurship. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that that was nine years ago. And I, whenever I tell that story, it does feel weird telling a story about a different, you know, a younger version of myself because it's so, what a romantic, beautiful story. I'm so aware of that. Like, how cool is that? And also, um, there's nine years of hustle and trust and feeling not enough and self-doubt that followed that moment. Uh, so it isn't all like this beautiful you know, Instagram, serendipity, floating meditation every day. Uh, but I'm, I'm just so grateful for that collision um, of hearts and minds and spirits on that journey. And uh, I guess the last thing I'll say to that, because I feel like I'm maybe rambling a bit now is, um, you know, I've had people say to me, oh, I really wish something would fall into my lap like it did for you. And I think what's really important about that is about that that story is so beautiful and it seems like it fell into my lap. But the amount of people that you meet every day, that I meet every day, that anybody listening meets every day that could change your life or you could change theirs is such a, it's so powerful that we could have chosen to say, what a beautiful lady and never talk to her again and never follow up that whole, it's too good to be true. Uh, but there was a lot of trust and a lot of surrender and patience that followed that meeting. And um, I think that there's stand up moments every day that people can experience we just maybe aren't as open to it um whereas you know hindsight's 2020 now I hear I'm like oh cool yeah what a beautiful story how entangled you guys were to have lived out your soul contracts together and that to me is just such what it is um when you told me the story I got goosebumps and I was like that's so beautiful and I love how you talk about how you need to have the trust that there is so much we all get given a hundred opportunities in our life, but it's following through with the one opportunity that sits the best with you. So let's talk about mala beads and meditation. I'm so excited. I'm trying to keep and stick to a meditation practice. As my tribe knows, I'm not a huge meditator. It's not something that's stuck in my life. And I think this is just the divine purpose that I've run into you so we can talk about it. And so you can help us all cultivate something that we know we should be doing that we don't feel like it's sticking. Yeah. You know, I think that's so funny you say that. I've, I, I'm so lucky. Like we work in Bali and India and Nepal. So I spend a lot of time in those parts of the world and and go to lots of meditation trainings. I'm taking two meditation teacher trainings right now and an intuition training course. So I'm, I really love to sponge up as much knowledge as I can. And what's so beautiful is there's so many ways and approaches to meditation. But when I teach it, the first thing I hear from people is I'm doing it wrong. Or I know I should, but I screw it up. Or, God, you know, I know it's really beneficial, but I'm just really bad at it. Or I don't know how to stick to it. And I think that that is almost every single person's response I've ever talked to. So you're not alone. That is the most normalized response you can have to meditation. 
Uh, I would say, you know, I'll tell, I'll tell you a bit about the mala beads and a bit about, you know, how I practice, but uh, the malas, they're beautiful. It's, if you guys don't know what a mala is, it's a string of beads. Is it often a tassel with it? And it is a, a traditional tool for meditation practice. So you do an inhale and exhale on every bead and work your way around. So it acts as a timer. Once you've gone all the way around, you know you've done a, a meditation practice. But it's also something tactile and physical to bring your energy and focus back to when you're sitting in meditation. So, you know, you're sitting there, maybe you're sitting for three minutes, five minutes, eight minutes, 20 minutes, however long you want to go for let's say 30 seconds and you hear a dog outside and your mind starts to wander oh yeah i have this beautiful thing in my hand i can come back to it brings your focus back oh my legs falling asleep oh my stomach i'm i'm hungry oh my goodness i'm like whatever whatever it is that happens let's say it's going to happen a hundred times in 10 minutes uh, this is just this beautiful object we can come back to to focus our attention and our intention so oftentimes you know I, i'm so lucky that i get to be part of people's mindfulness journey they'll share like this mala helped me through abuse this mala helped me through a divorce this mala helped me through a sex change it helped me through my kids leaving the home um it becomes like this manifestation object to bring mindfulness and peace whatever whatever it represents to you um you know this mala helped me give birth this mala helped me find love this mala helped me become pregnant this mala get whatever it is like a talisman an object to put that energy into so i think it's the malas themselves mean something different to everybody, but I personally love it as a as a tool and as a reminder to her through the day of, you know, maybe patience. Maybe my intention is serendipity. Maybe my intention is intuition. So to wear it to remind myself of the the intention is also really beautiful. I love that so much. And I've used mala beads in my own practice, like chanting, but I've never mm. even thought to just sit there and use it as a breathing technique, which would make mm. so much more sense to have that tactile object and to mm. have something to bring the metaphysical into the physical. Like I and my tribe spend so much time in this beautiful psychic working states and trying to connect to the other side and trying to bring in a practice before that sounds so real and tactile would truly help expand them into this world that they're trying to connect into. So I can see how it'd be such a beautiful connection. And I know that they come with all different types of crystals and you could like use your intuition to pick the right one for you. And I'm like, I'm like, I need to go buy more. Like I have one and I'm feeling like mm, it's time to move on and to upgrade, to change. Um, so when starting a meditation practice, what would be the best advice you could give to someone? Mm, I would say this is going to maybe sound a little, you know, when you're like, what's the secret? And it's like, well, it's really this easy. It's just be kind to yourself because I think we really get this mindset that it's an all or nothing practice. You know, we do these, we often give a lot of free guided meditations away. Let's say we'll do a seven day or a 30 day. And if someone stops on day three, they don't come back. <laughs> They're like, I've already screwed this up. I'm out. And really it's okay. I've missed day three. I'll come back on day five. Like, you know, there's, there's no, um, we tend to do this all or nothing approach that if I can't do it a hundred percent, I'm not going to return and just continuing to come back with compassion and kindness to self. So like, as I was talking about earlier, when your mind starts to wander, you hear a dog, you hear, um, you know, your stomach grumble. When you, when you find yourself out here floating and you're like, Oh yeah, I'm supposed to be breathing and meditating. Your choice here is one of two things. I'm going to judge myself 
and say I'm the worst meditator ever and just start to spiral down that negative rabbit hole or, oh yeah, my mind wandered. Okay, come back and just come back with, without judgment, without that I'm the worst, without that I'm doing it wrong. Come back with compassion, with ease, with kindness, talking to yourself the way that you talk to somebody you love because we're often so much kinder to somebody that we love than we are to ourselves. So when we're starting a practice, it's how can you be gentle with yourself? And I'm, I'm not saying avoid the uncomfortable because it can get really uncomfortable. Sitting with our own thoughts can be a really uncomfortable thing because all this stuff starts to come up that maybe we've been avoiding by being busy. There's a difference between, um, you know, letting go because it just doesn't serve you and uh, pursuing through with a bit of discipline and, and facing the things that are a bit uncomfortable because once you come through the other side of that, um, you know, there's, there's some really magic things that start to happen. And I think that oftentimes we really want measurable results when we go into meditation practice of, oh, I've done this seven days in a row and I don't feel anything. And maybe it's a slower burn, like, you know, fitness routine where you slow and steady, slow and steady, kindness, compassion. You eat a box of chocolates, that's fine. You're allowed to eat a box of chocolates. You can go back to the gym tomorrow. You don't, you know, it's not the worst thing if you fall off a little bit. That's okay. It's normal because if it's, if it's this strict regimented thing, we don't, we don't want to do that. It's not going to work for us. It needs to flow with us uh, as well. So I think kindness, compassion. And that, there's other little things like, you know, little tips and tricks that are maybe a bit more uh, practice-based. Like I, I often suggest, you know, building that habit, building that routine. So let's say tying it to something that's already part of your day. So I'd hope that most people brush their teeth in the morning. So maybe when you brush your teeth, go sit and meditate for five minutes. Maybe when you put the kettle on for some tea, that's your trigger. I'm going to sit for five minutes and start small and work your way up. But it's less intimidating starting at three minutes, going to five, going to eight. So going in small increments. I think just building that routine. Um, and then I guess, you know, another thing that for me, it's, it's really important is having a physical space in your home. You don't need to have that. Uh, but for us, you know, the malas was how we started the business. But I became really obsessed with this idea of what, what does our home reflect about our mindfulness practice? How does it hold physical space for me to be in this space? So we started making meditation cushions in India. And I'm, I really, you know, you don't need our meditation cushions to meditate. I'm not selling them. I mean, you can grab a cushion from your bed or from your couch. But how can you create a safe and sacred space in your home that's just for you, that you see it, and maybe it inspires you, or maybe it makes you feel a little bit guilty when you walk past it. You're like, oh, yeah, I was supposed to meditate today. <laughs> uh, I don't mean it should be guilty every day, but you know what I mean. It just triggers that, oh, yeah. I'm going to go sit there for a few minutes and breathe. There's a couple little tidbits in there, but overall compassion and kindness to self, I think is the most important. Yeah. I love that. I know so many people are always like, they're just like, and what is the point of meditation? And I think that is our next question to you. What is the aim of meditation other than look, I'm going to give it totally up to you. Ooh, other than what? I want to hear what you're going to say. Well, I was going to say like clearing your mind and creating space in your life, but that's what I always have believed. Meditation is and its purpose, but I could be like, it's different for everyone. So do you have kind of like an aim for your meditation? Yeah. You know, I find it, um, I find it so interesting. I, I think that our, that all or nothing approach is really a curious thing for us of, well, I can't sit there and clear my mind. Therefore I'm bad at this. I don't know anybody who can sit for 30 minutes and not have a thought. Like they're probably in an ashram somewhere like in Bhutan or, you know, that I'm sure they exist, but I don't know them. Uh, so I think going in with that intention can be so overwhelming. Uh, 
And it's not a digestible way to approach meditation, in my opinion. I think it's a really, really intimidating way to approach meditation. So how can we make it more accessible? So, you know, I worked with this one teacher who talked about meditation as, I I often draw a picture, but maybe if you want to visualize um, a bicycle wheel and the center of the bicycle wheel and all the spokes on the wheel. So the center of the bicycle wheel is your focal point. And your focal point can be your mantra. So you're talking about chanting earlier. Your mantra, your breath, or your mala beads. So when you're breathing, come back to the inhale and the exhale. Come back to your mantra. Come back to the beads. And then your mind's going to start to wander. So picture that first spoke on the wheel. And then once you get out to the edge, that's when you realize my mind's wandering. That's when you get to choose, do I want to come back to myself with kindness? Or am I going to judge myself and stay out here? let's say you come back with kindness because you know how to do that now five seconds later that another spike another spoke on the wheel is going to go out then 10 seconds later another spoke another spoke so let's say there's 100 spokes in 10 minutes okay so your mind's wandered 100 times the point of meditation is to not have no spokes on that wheel but maybe tomorrow you have 98 maybe the next day you have 93 maybe the next day you have 120 because you had a crazy morning maybe the next day you have 72 so how do you create a little bit more space between each of those thoughts. And then between that, those spaces, between those spokes, you get that connection to whatever you want to call it, the divine, the higher self, your intuition, the universe, whatever, whatever you want to call that thing that you're connecting to. Um, it, it creates that space for it to come in. And you have those aha moments. You know when you're in the shower or when you're washing dishes or when you're driving and you're like, oh, yeah, I got to do this. Oh, yeah, I got to do that. And you're not thinking. It just comes to you. It just lands. We're often not creating enough space to let those moments land. We're not creating enough space to just watch our thoughts. Oh, yeah, I'm having that thought today. And then you're starting to witness your thoughts a bit more and realize, like, oh, yeah, I'm not my thoughts. Well, of course I can't do my thoughts because I'm seeing them or I'm watching them float away. So if I'm watching them, are they me? So it just, it just creates a little bit of space to witness whatever comes up for you. And I really love journaling after because then you get to write out, oof, here's everything I witnessed. And then you get to see day over day, oh, last week I must have really been having self-doubt around this. Oh, the week before I was having a lot of anxiety around this. And then you get to see how you're transforming by creating space in your thoughts. Um, I hope that was helpful. Yeah, I love it. I love how I've just finished reading The Untethered Soul and he mm. talks, I love it. And um, to have that out-of-body experience is what you're creating in meditation is kind of mm-hmm. where I believe that you're going. And I know that with a lot of my students, we always talk about getting out of the road and having that out-of-body experience where you're not yeah. just the thinker, you're the conscious is the most important place to lead from when you're trying to get into the metaphysical. So I love how they go hand in hand. Not that I've been a big meditator, but that is on my 2021 goals. And I love how you're talking about meditation. Like in my background, I used to be a personal trainer and it's the same. So you've always got to lead with love and compassion. And I love how you are bringing that to the world of meditation because it's what's needed. We're all so hard on ourselves. We have this life where we are always go, 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 go. Yeah. Pulling away from these beautiful practices that are so ancient and so ingrained in our culture and our ancestry because Mm. we believe that we're too busy but how can we keep going forward without going backwards in some ways to make sure that we're staying connected? 
Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. And sometimes I think that that idea of self-love and compassion can be so intangible. It's so abstract. Like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Practice self-love. We hear that so often. Like, what does that really mean? What does that really mean to, to love yourself? And I think this, the more we sit with ourselves, the more we get to meet ourselves. And the more we get to know who we are and the more we get to, um, you know, the, the intuitive coach that I speak with was saying the more we connect to the divine feminine, uh, the more we understand love and we understand more how to love ourselves. And we don't, we don't often create the time to meet who we really are and connect to who we really are and give that version of us love. And there's so many external versions of us that we show up with to everybody else. Uh, but who am I really? I, I did this gorgeous meditation recently. Inhale and exhale. Who am I really? Inhale, mm -hmm. exhale. Who am I really? And you do that for eight minutes. Who am I really? Answering that for eight minutes, the depths of you getting to know yourself, it's very overwhelming and very powerful, very simple. Just repeating the same question over and over again. New answers come back every time. Yeah, that would be so beautiful because we live in a world where self is abstract. Like we've yes. created this abstract world of who we are. And I speak a lot about values and so many people are always like, I don't know what my values are. And I'm like, your values are your pillar stones. Isn't it about mm. creating space in your life to grow? And that's a beautiful tool in which you can use through meditation, but it's knowing it's so many people in this realm is belief is self-development. It's like a core value. Um, yeah. And I would probably say one of your values is probably development with you always learning mm. something. And yeah. meditation is such a good tool to teach us about yeah. ourselves. And we all need to dive deeper in understanding what our own values are and who we are and how we feel comfortable so we can lead from that place of love. And I love how this is all just tying back. And I love this free flow right now of where we're going. <laughs> and I'm just like, I need to keep going because for me, meditation is the second I take before a channeling session because Ooh, I'm pure wow. nothingness and I have to be that nothing. And that's entrained and ingrained in me. Mm. And the more talking to you, I see how that is in itself meditation. Yeah. I think that the idea of what meditation is, is different for every person. I, I often can find it on a yoga mat in a hot yoga class. I can find it uh, or that flow state, you know, I was talking about earlier where those like hits come in, those downloads, those messages. Uh, it doesn't have to just be sitting on a cushion for 20 minutes. It can be as simple as connecting to your breath through box breathing. So inhaling for four, holding for four, exhaling for four, holding for four. Just do that for a few, t a few times in a row and you've got... Um, you know, 16 seconds of breath can be a really short mini uh, moment with yourself. So I think it's, it doesn't need to be uh, 30 minutes of sitting in silence. It can be two minutes of breathing. It can be, uh, I used to, before I used to give talks, I would go sit in the bathroom and <laughs> breathe in the bathroom stall because I was like, I didn't want to meditate in front of people. So it couldn't be whatever you need to be wherever you are. Um, so so how do you use meditation throughout your day? Like I know that you're a busy entrepreneur and you're constantly, I would perceive, on the go, but maybe not. We all perceive different things. So how do you live a meditation-filled life on the go? Mm, that's a good question. Well, I would say I'm a normal person and I don't, um, you know, some days I meditate and some days I don't. <laughs> 
think that there's, I would be giving a false impression if I was like every morning at five o'clock, I wake up and I don't do that. Uh, but I do have a, a pretty good morning routine that I'm, I'm really grateful for. So I'll share a bit about that because that's been a big part of my mindfulness journey. I, I started a gratitude practice maybe a year and a half ago and I was working with a business coach and I was asking him, how do we crack into our potential? How do we level up? How do we get to that place of, um, you know, what we can become? And he's like, it's really easy, Ashley. It's called 10, 10, and 10. So 10 minutes of gratitude, 10 minutes of reading, and 10 minutes of journaling. And I was like, that's it? <laughs> that's kind of lame. Like, where's the secret? <laughs> and so I started doing it. And a, a year later, I, I worked with him again, or I saw him again. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you were correct. It's so easy. But the thing is, when it's so easy, it's so easy not to do it. And so this practice every morning for me doing 10 minutes of gratitude has shifted my mindset throughout the day um, from a place sometimes, you know, scarcity or fear or like shrinking and, you know, not enough to expansion and potential and opportunity and abundance and ways where maybe I would have in a meeting like, oh my God, we're never going to accomplish this or we're not going to do this. It's now turned into, yeah, I bet there's another way. Or what if we looked at it this way? Or you know what? You did really great. Like every, everything is, there's like this tinge of positive positivity and abundance and possibility in, in every thought, maybe not every single thought, but I would say the majority of my thoughts and I verbalize it more because I write these words every morning. I'm so, there's so much more part of my vocabulary and of my mindset that I will tell people outwardly how grateful I am for them very often like my baristas or people that hold the door open for me or my team or my family or my friends hey I really love you I'm really grateful for you and maybe I would have thought them before but never said them out loud so that for me a really big mindfulness practice for me has been expressing gratitude and feeling gratitude and living the gratitude and even when I'm grumpy I'll, I'll sit there I'm like today I'm grateful for this coffee cup that's why I know I'm really grumpy when it's like the only thing around me <laughs> I have to pretend like I have to start writing to like get that flow going. Okay, I'm grateful for this table. I'm grateful for this chair. Oh yeah, I guess I'm grateful for this air. I'm grateful for my health. And then and then it becomes less compact and physical things and more expansive, expansive, expansive. Um, and it not just being about me and things. So the gratitude thing has been just absolutely profound for me. Um, really, really life changing. And meditation. My meditation practice is different. It's always different. I. I once had a teacher share um, that she doesn't like to share a lot about her meditations because then people are going to think they're doing them wrong if they hear hers so that it becomes this comparison. So I, I, I'm always so happy to share, but just as I share it, please know that this is not right, nor is it wrong. <laughs> it might, might happen for you and it might not, but I, I have very, very visual meditations. And I've always had very strong visions since I was a kid. I had to go see ink blot tests when I was young. Um, which like maybe shows how old I am. I don't know if I even having plot tests anymore, uh, but I was really little. And um, so now when we do visualizations, I can drop in pretty quickly. And I really, really, really love that. I love this idea of creating um, reality in, in a meditation, creating a new reality, or I don't know if you've ever done a meditation, you know, having somebody else guide you through can be so beautiful. And so like you're just held with so much love and so much safety. Uh, I've done meditations where I've seen the younger version of myself, future version of myself, present day version of self. And, 
you know, a really profound one that I did was I met a young version of myself, maybe 11 or 12. And I knew what she was going through. It was a really hard time in my life. I said, Oh, Ashley, I love you so much. You're so beautiful. You're doing so great. And this voice said, why don't you speak to yourself like that now? And it was just this massive wake, wake up call. What is self-love? What that that's what it is, is how can I be so much more compassionate and kind to everybody else than I am to present day me? Um, so there's, there's so many profound moments in my practice. And there's also days where I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to be doing this right now. <laughs> my leg's asleep. Oh, I can hear someone's music in their car driving by. Oh, I don't like that song. You know, whatever. Those things happen. And I definitely still have days like that where I resist it. But the days where I have a bit more connection to divinity or to self happen more fre- frequently the more I practice. So it's just like working a muscle and showing up for yourself and showing up and building trust with yourself. Mm, it's just the more we talk about this, the thought that just came to my mind is top athletes in um, who generally go to the Olympics spend um, about 30 minutes a day in visualization about yeah. understanding that they have the potential to win and everything you're talking about is cultivating the same kind of mindset. And that's what I love. So I'm super into personal development goes hand in hand with spiritual development. It is my motto. I don't see how one can flourish without the other for Mm. you need to understand your first self before you can understand that of your guides, that of your ancestors, that of Mm. any other energy, which you're calling in and in that place of meditation, if you're just truly focusing on yourself, you will learn that about you. But my biggest thing is that meditation isn't a form of psychic development. You, If you're calling in things and you're not aware of your own energy first, you're just bringing in all of these weird energies that you're not sure how to cope with and deal with. Um, so I just wanted to reiterate that. Again, it's something that I say all the time on my Instagram, but it's really important to know your own energy and everything we've talked about has gone back to personal development and spiritual development go hand in hand. So I truly love that. I have a question about mala beads that I want to dive into before I forget. So I know they come in all different types of crystals. What is like... What would you say is the perfect crystals to meditate Ooh. through mala beads and things like that? Do you, have you had like any experiences? Ooh, that's a really good question. Oh man, I don't know if there's one. There's, I don't think there's just one. It's not a one size fits all. This is the best one. I think that the, I can share my experience with them. I, I, for, oh man, we're really talking about self-love here. So I, I went through this really big self-love phase because <laughs> I was being way too hard on myself with everything as I, we all are when we're, you know, a little bit type A, a little bit, um, control freak, whatever you want to call it. Um, anyway, I was wearing a lot of rose quartz and it's believed that when your mala breaks, that you can let go of that intention and set a new one. And I'd always known that and always talked about it but it lands very differently when it's your own and it happens to you. So when mine broke, I remember just weeping, weeping in a yoga class and just be like, I, what is my next intention? I invited that next intention and just whatever came to me was what I went with. And I think it was intuition after, after self-love. So I went from rose quartz to moonstone. Uh, Right now I am really, really loving moonstone. Well, I, I wear a lot of moonstone. 
uh, for that connection to intuition and like that feminine side. Uh, but I really love labradorite and labradorite is like this grayish bluish stone and it's one of serendipity and synchronicity and believing in magic. And I, I love that for so many reasons, you know, probably obviously because of, you know, that's how my life changed through serendipity, but also a reminder of trust, a reminder of letting go, a reminder of patience that your path is kind of already laid out for you. Are you going to trust that it's there? And so I, I think it's, it's so personal to every person's journey, what crystal they're drawn to. Um, but I think even actually like the one thing that's coming up for me is rose, uh, sorry, quartz crystal is, is a clear stone and it's uh, one for clearing energy and clearing space. So that, that's a good foundational place to start to just clear. Um, but there's, there's so many beautiful intentions out there. I think it's just go with your gut. And we used to, when we started selling them, we'd have like men's and women's and I always found it so funny we'd go to trade shows because they're all unisex. But we would do like the pink and purple or for girls. You know what I mean? Like years ago. And I just loved every, every event. All of the purple amethyst was bought by men. Every time. Every time. I just noticed that men love amethyst, which is so cool. And so like, it always catches me every time it's, it shouldn't anymore because it's just normalized now that, um, you know, the majority of the amethyst is going to men. And I love that it's for peace and tranquility, but um, it, it's just, uh, I've seen, I've seen in events where people come up and say, what intention should I have? I'm like, just look at it, look at it and feel it out and pick it up. And then I'll tell you the intention. Just go to what your, your intuition says, go to what you're pulled towards. And then I'll explain from the stone and they start weeping. So that connection is so personal. That connection is so based and rooted in where you're at in that moment that, um, you know, it usually is a color palette that you already love. It usually is a color palette you already wear. It's usually a color palette that's in your home because it's a color that you're drawn to. Um, and then that's usually what you need. So I think it's, it's so hard to say what a good one is to start with. Um, they're all beautiful. There's no wrong. There's no wrong answer. There's no gemstone that has a bad intention. <laughs> so it's not like you're going to get a bad one. A hundred percent. I love that. So just a super quick question. Do you put your mala in the, like in the moonlight or do you just like, Ooh, I do. I love the hippy dippy woo woo thing. So I, I do all of it. I love that. So I, I bring it with me on treks. Like I hike a lot in Nepal every year and I put it out under the moon. I wash it, you know, whatever lakes I hike to or the ocean. Um, there's a lot of different rituals you can do on full moons and new moons to cleanse them. Use a singing bowl. You can charge them on a quartz crystal. Um, and usually I don't, I don't like using the word should or need because I, I'm not here to tell you what is right or wrong. Uh, but it's advised not to let somebody else wear your mala because it absorbs your energy. It takes it all on. So once somebody else wears it, you're now wearing their energy. So you can do a quick cleansing under the moon, in the water, singing bowl, crystal, anything to just clear it so you can put your energy back into it. I love that. And I love how you're not preaching exactly what you do is the right way. Like I love that so much. Um, It's something that's really resonated with us this year. I think COVID has all brought us back to the center of us. And I know it's something that we all don't like talking about, but I think here in Australia, it's such a different thing. We're just talking about it when we started. And I hope that you've all felt like you've grown this year. Has this been an expansive year for the Muller Collective? Because everyone seems to be going inwards. 
Yeah, you know, I think it's been so, it's been so interesting. Um, I think that the shift in meditation and mindfulness has been the past few years. You know, when we started meditation, or sorry, when we started Mala, a lot of people didn't talk openly about their meditation practice. Like, well, I'm not Buddhist or Hindu. I don't live in an ashram, so I don't, I don't really meditate. And now it's, well, of course I have a meditation practice. I can't start my day without it. And it's, it's become so normalized and we talk about it so outwardly now. Um, and I've had so many people say to me, well, how'd you know it was going to be cool and be a trend? I'm like, I didn't. I'm just so grateful that people are talking about it, that they're open to it now. And especially this year, the realization that meditation is not this hippie woo-woo thing. It really does help reduce anxiety. It helps bring calm. It helps bring grounding and centering. And we definitely noticed it at the beginning uh, and ever since that people are really turning to other um, of different ways to find find those qualities of calm. And so it's been an expansive year in in general around mindfulness and wellness, I, I think. And for us, I'm so grateful that we can be on that journey with people. Like I said earlier, you don't actually need our products to meditate. You don't need a mala. You don't need a cushion. You don't need the crystals. You just need your breath. So you can meditate, you know, right now without anything. Um, but it's been such an honor that we get to be a part of that uh, journey with people. And I'm so grateful that people choose to come to us, to, to allow us into that experience with them. Uh, and, and for me, like personally, as a leader, it's been a really big year of uh, understanding how to grow a business, understanding how to get out of my own way, understanding, um, okay, we have all this downtime now. And I, and I don't want to highlight like pandemic productivity of like, yeah, you should get as much done because you're home. So how much did you accomplish during COVID? I'm not, you know. I drank a lot of wine for the first two months and then I stopped drinking wine. So I, I did the thing that most people did. They kind of like, you know, put the sweatpants on and lounged. And now I, I started to reflect on what are all those things that I was going to do one day. One day I'm going to do this. One day I'm going to create that. I was like, oh, maybe it's now. Maybe now is that time. So this year I, I found it was a really interesting breakthrough of all of those things I made excuses for. I don't have the perfect conditions to start creating this. I started creating. I was like, oh, it really actually is that easy to just do it and and also work through that uncomfortable. Like I said in the meditation practice as an example, like sitting down and having the discipline and discipline in a loving way, not in discipline has such a negative connotation. I think discipline is such a beautiful word. And maybe it's the word commitment lands more with you. But what are you committed to? Are you committed to self? Are you committed to growth? Are you committed like what are you committed to as future you? Uh, and that was a big year personally and within Mala of our commitment to our community. So we started offering as much free meditation as we could. We started offering as much free content as we could. Every day we had a different uh, community member teaching a fitness class, teaching a meditation, teaching a visualization. What is our commitment? And it was, you know, the business grew, but funnily enough, our business conversations were not around how do we scale? It was how can we show up and what are we committed to? So it was a really beautiful um, beautiful year I love that and I love if people said the same thing how can I show up and grow for myself yeah it would be exponential yeah so your values are truly in line and you live (laughs) such a beautifully spiritually aligned business which I love and it's been absolutely an honor talking to you Thank you so much for inspiring me to get back to my meditation practice and try other ways of meditating. Thank you. Well, I feel so calm just 
in your presence. I'm so grateful to chat with you. This is so cool. And I'm going to link through the Muller Collective in the show notes and absolutely every way to get in touch with Ashley. Guys, I hope you truly enjoyed this episode and I'll talk to you next week.